Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. recognize that if you miss the last hour, that um, then you are not one of the people having to reapply their uh, makeup right now on the way to work, if you're going to work. Um, but let me just say that that conversation with Lee Capolino at the end of the last hour, I think is worth going back and listening to via the podcast if you missed it. So let me just encourage you to do that. Um, if you are one of the 60 million people in the United States of America Uh, whose life is directly touched by abortion, or if you are one of the 300 million whose life is indirectly touched by abortion, um, it is a testimony you're going to want to hear. It was uh, a surprise toward the end of the conversation for for Lee to share that part of her testimony with us. And so let me just encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen um, and maybe share it with somebody that you know uh, is struggling to with regret. Um, struggling to understand how God can forgive, how God does forgive, God's mercy, um, no matter what. And the reality that um, something that uh, is a part of her testimony 32 years ago is so alive in her heart and soul and mind today that it brought her to tears um, and does so uh, for us as well. It's something that never goes away. Um, Rightly so, rightly so. So um, Peter Kapsner is waiting right now. Let me tee up this one story before uh, I have the opportunity to talk with Peter. Um, People are asking, where have all the kindergartners gone? And so we don't really have a lot of eyes into schools in our local communities, but apparently nationwide school districts are a little stumped by where all of the kindergartners have gone. So there are empty seats in kindergarten classrooms across the country. And what's, uh, you know, why is that? Um, Well, people, uh, when it came time to enroll their little kids in kindergarten, they sort of said to themselves, why? I mean, why do they need, why? Why do they have to go do that? Why do they have to start now? And so as parents are struggling with uh, balancing work responsibilities and monitoring online learning for, uh, you know, for kindergartners, are you kidding me? That would be bananas anyway. Uh, And so this mom says, look, when I started to think about how I would monitor a five-year-old in a Zoom class, I just said, no, we're not doing that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that affects uh, kindergarten numbers next year, right? Because these little people will start what, uh, what the country thinks of as a year late. But how might they be changed and different by having a whole other year of um, whatever it is? That they're doing, uh, you know, in terms of their education at home with their parents. So there you go. Interesting, uh, interesting conversation to have in your own family if you've got a little person of that age. Peter Kapsner is uh, ready and and well, he's he's about ready to tell us uh, about the blessings and curses in his own life in a conversation that um, that centers on artifacts that a tourist took from Pompeii. So we're also going to ask Peter if we've ever taken anything on any foreign trip. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Dr. Peter Kapsner is with me now. Peter, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. I had no My- idea you were going to these stories this morning. Uh, you know, that's because this is this is a segment of Surprise and Delight. It we used is. to call it Fifty Shades of Grey, and now it's just called Surprise and Delight. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Uh, so um, let's talk about kindergarten. Oh, dear. What? Uh, so I have one distinct memory of kindergarten that yeah. stands out. Yep. Um, I think I've told this story before on air, but maybe not to you. So uh, I got my first F in kindergarten. <laughs> For, no, first F, not my only F, but my first right, F. Right, right. Um, I went home with my little sheet of paper. You know the ones that have like the blue line and the little dotted line in the middle? You know those? Where yes. You're supposed oh, to be I, learning yes, to- I do. You yes, told me the story over dinner. But yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, I have that. My name is written on it and an F with a circle around it <laughs> and a note that, that my mom needs to sign it. So I hand it to my mom and I'm like, you need to sign this. And she's like, hmm. Because the page is blank other than my name at the top. And she says, um what were you supposed to do? <laughs> like she instinctively got the, got the message that the page shouldn't have been blank. And uh, what were you supposed to do? And I said, write my name 10 times. And she says, well, why didn't you? And I said, I wrote it right the first time. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories. And Carmen. thus began my educational experience. Oh, so indeed. tell us uh, your, uh, give us a kindergarten memory. Oh gosh. I, I mean, some of my vague memories involve uh, Tonka tr- uh, trucks and sandboxes and snack pack pudding and those sorts of things. But I do remember distinctly one day, Carmen, that I was sort of fed up with kindergarten. And uh, so when the bus came by and we had to walk a couple houses down in the neighborhood to the, to the bus stop and they had this big rock garden, this sort of landscaped rock garden at the neighbor's house. And when the bus came by, I, I took my little five-year-old body and I hid behind one of the big boulders and, and the bus never <laughs> picked up that I was there. And so uh, that was uh, my first day of hooky from school. And mm. I went back then a couple uh, doors down and we lived with some some small woods around our home. And I played in those woods for the better part of about two hours. But then I made a critical error in judgment. And I left my, my safety and, uh, and security of the woods and went into the family sandbox, in which point my parents were outside <laughs> and wondered what in the world I was doing home. So, so I did say, I said, well, everybody at school was sick today, so they sent us home mm. early. And, mm. uh, and, you know, somehow they didn't believe that story. So that's mm-hmm. what I remember from kindergarten is playing hooky one day. <laughs> so there's really uh, uh, the multiplication of the playing of hooky with the with the lying to the parents for sure oh and, yeah. and, and you know Carmen as a fi- it came out of my mouth before I could even think it was just amazing <laughs> and you know I, I should have probably crafted a slightly better story because my mom was like well I didn't hear the bus go by I was like oh now I'm stuck I, I'm out of material at this point <laughs> <laughs> okay so following uh, Peter's confession about uh, skipping school in kindergarten his first truant act <laughs> um <laughs> We, let's talk about um, things you've stolen when you've been on vacation. And this grows out of I, I shouldn't phrase it that way. That's 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 inappropriate language. <laughs> sure. Um, so we're supposed to when we visit places of natural beauty, take only pictures and leave only footprints. Very that true. seems to be the right. Um, however, this visitor to Pompeii some 15 years ago took some artifacts that they were not supposed to take. Right. It's volcanic rock. Right. Yes. And um, and for 15 years then says that they uh uh, experienced, quote-unquote, curses, and now uh, have returned those cursed rocks and, I guess, expect to now experience blessings. So the first question is, have you taken anything other than pictures um, from places that you were not supposed to? And then let's have a conversation about the reality of blessings and curses. Yeah. Well, when we lived in the United Kingdom, in Scotland in particular, uh, the, all of the stones of the different uh, national parks in Scotland belong to the Queen. 
and and you are not you're not actually even supposed to kick the stones around just loose stones that you're not supposed to move or take uh, obviously and i can neither confirm nor deny at this point whether we have a few stones uh, from <laughs> one, one of the scottish <laughs> national parks as a memento i will say this though carmen when i studied in israel we had a chance to do some uh, biblical work in the elah valley which is the site of the the scene between david and goliath and the philistines and the israelites and there was a dry creek bed there and i did go down into the creek bed and i picked up five stones out of that creek bed and that has served as sort of a memento of israel for us i mean i don't know that that was the same river that david went to for his slingshot but but it was sort of this meaningful thing that we did take home in these stones yeah and so um i you know i think that we all have similar stories um and similar conversations to have when um when i highlight this story because it does give us an opportunity to talk about blessings and curses it does yes um because people there are people who actually do believe in the power of let's say an artifact um the the power of uh of cursing through an item so i'm thinking here about you know those dolls that they make that look like people that you know people stick pins in or whatever right like right in voodoo, so sure. uh, yeah thank you so let's talk a little bit about because first of all it there's a reality to cursing. Like it's this is a biblical deal. Um, there's a reality to cursing. Um, but then let's also talk about how do we become recipients of blessing? Because it's not like we can, you know, rub rub the belly of a uh, of a lamp and make our dreams come true. Right, exactly. Well, and I appreciate you bringing this up. I think this is a surprisingly complicated conversation once you begin to, to dig into it. But I think what you just said is maybe the most helpful starting point when it comes to thinking through something like blessings and curses, and especially if we're a little bit skeptical that maybe such things might exist. But clearly in the mind of the authors of Scripture that told the stories of Scripture or even taught within the epistles of Scripture, like uh, some of the Pauline New Testament letters uh, or, or the letters of James and, and, and uh, Peter, that their worldview clearly included, and in fact robustly so, the idea that curses and blessings do in fact exist. And we live, you know, a few thousand years removed from that, and, and uh, if we had a longer period of time, we could talk about uh, the sort of myth of social progress, the idea that what most recently explains the world can be more trusted. And what I mean by that is, is sociologists talk about, well, there was one view of the world during the time of Scripture that was a very supernatural view of the world. And that was replaced uh, ultimately uh, for about 1,500 years by organized religion as a way of sort of uh, navigating your world. And most recently, that has been replaced by science as uh, the most important way of navigating the world, so some people think. And what we know about science is that it really doesn't have room for these kinds of ideas that are supernatural, often in their, their orientation, they certainly involve a world that is non-visible, though very real to the authors of Scripture. And so blessings and curses fall within that category. And the question that, that I think you and I can uh, talk about for a bit is what does it mean uh, to, to think about blessings and curses? Do they still exist? How do we maybe interact with them in that way? And, and I think that's where the conversation gets a little bit dodgy, right? Because I, I certainly know people that say, well, hey, I didn't get the job. I must be cursed. Or this bad event is happening in my life. I, I just got cursed. And you can become really, you can really quickly attribute the difficult situations in your life to something like a curse when it's not that at all. And yet at the same time, I think we have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater if we want to have a distinctly scriptural worldview. So they're real. Like, I think we can't escape the reality that the Bible addresses this 
topic and issue. The Apostle Paul actually pronounced a curse in Galatians 1 as an act of judgment upon false doctrine. That's one of the primary forms of curses as an act of judgment. Yes, indeed. Right. Um, Deuteronomy 7, the Israelites were told not to bring a, quote, aberrant or, quote, cursed thing into the house. Joshua 6, the children of Israel warned about taking plunder from Jericho. Um, uh, I mean, we we, we know stories um, about disobedience related to this um, in terms of cursing in, uh, in the Bible. I think that when we talk about Halloween, um, and again, this is uh, part of the reason that I'm surfacing this conversation is this is an opportunity, this is a time period, and the lead up to Halloween, All Hallows Eve, for us to talk about spiritual forces, as to yeah, talk about spiritual timely. realities. Yes. Our opportunity to talk about witches and witchcraft and um, and all kinds of pagan realities. Uh, and then also to be able to say, we actually do live in a supernatural reality. For as much as people want to worship science today, um, we do live in a supernatural reality. And there are spirits other than the spirit of the living God. And those spirits are operational, and people can uh, can actually become agents of. There's an agency uh, conversation to be had here. I mean, on and on and on. Um, and so I just wanted to surface it today. Maybe we'll circle back around to it in the weeks between now and Halloween. But um, thanks for entertaining um, what might have seemed like a silly conversation uh, to start off with, Peter. But, you know, you and I are pretty adept at <clears throat> revealing that things are often deeper than uh, one might have first thought. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk with Dr. Peter Kapsner uh, about the challenges that um, exist in higher education today, education in general, and the language that we use in the culture uh, in terms of uh, ideas. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner, we're going to make a bit of a pivot here, um, and we're going to talk about the need in uh, in the American culture today, actually in the Western cultures uh, writ large, um, the need for some fresh ideas. And that's not to say ideas that are completely unmoored from our Judeo-Christian values. Uh, it is to say ideas that um, somehow incorporate the reality that the world is really, really different than it was in the late 1700s. And so we um, we need a new uh, cultural or political language, and we definitely need some fresh ideas. Um, so one question is, where are those going to come from? And then as those new ideas come, do we have an intellectual elite in this country, a cultural elite in this country that actually is willing to make room for new ideas or really they just want only their own ideas and everybody to accept them? So, uh, Peter, you and I have both read and begun to digest this Bloomberg piece entitled The West Needs New Ideas, Not Just New Voices. Increased space for minorities is welcome, but it shouldn't be confused with genuine intellectual diversity mm. and openness of thought. What does diversity mean and what does it not mean? And what does it mean for us to be genuinely open, uh, diverse, and inclusive uh, in terms of the way the ideas of other people are integrated into uh, the the sort of hive mind of American culture? Yeah, gosh, wow, that is such a big question. And the landscape really has changed so substantially over the last uh, maybe 30, 40 years, maybe even less than that, Carmen. I, I know that when I was going through 
some of the graduate, postgraduate work that I did is that there was a, a, a very significant emphasis placed on the idea of intellectual honesty, meaning that you allow your thinking to be changed as new evidence comes to the table related to your thinking. And it was once said of C.S. Lewis that the reason why he was as effective as he was is he allowed the evidence to take him wherever that evidence was going to go, believing that in doing that uh, intellectually honest pursuit, that his mind, his heart, his spirit would all expand as a result of that. That's very different than, I think, what we see currently, which is much more uh, not about this intellectual honesty. It is about what you just described. I know what is right, and it is going to be my job to make sure that you also know that I know that this is right. And you need to think like I do in order to um, to be able to move forward, especially within academia. And I'm increasingly running into conversations and increasingly know professors as well, just from all of these academic circles in which students really truly are graded according to whether or not they agree with the professor. And to me, Carmen, I mean, that just makes my head explode in terms of what we as professors are called to do, which is simply to consistently and constantly examine the evidence, find the holes in our thinking, whatever it happens to be, and and allow for other voices to speak to how we understand the world. And uh, boy, there is so much thought that we have access to now, a diversity of thought around the world that we didn't have in a pre-internet age or a pre-mobility kind of age where global travel, you know, pandemic aside, of course, was something that became increasingly normal for people. So you ran into ideas that otherwise maybe you only read in a book written by one sociologist who happened to travel to a foreign nation. Now, these collisions of ideas are happening everywhere. And I think without the humility of intellectual honesty and and as believers, without the humility of a spiritual honesty that says, hang on just a second, there's probably a lot about the scriptures and God's kingdom that I don't know. Uh, Just this last week, I was was trying to figure out how many verses are in the scriptures, and I didn't like count them up. I actually Googled it and uh, and saw that there was uh, 31,000 verses in the Bible. And, And I thought, gosh, you know, I probably on a really good day, maybe I could count up 500 verses with which I'm you know, pretty familiar. I don't know that I could quote them, but I could probably talk about them in a substantive way. And Carmen, that represents 1.5% of the entire biblical text, which means that even me as a professor of Christian ministries who has all these fancy degrees and all these sorts of things, I, I would say that I am relatively ignorant about 98% of the scriptures. And, and I think most of us fall into those categories. And what that, the invitation is to that is for intellectual and in this case, spiritual honesty to say, hey, look, I need to explore a lot more thinking about God's kingdom and not just get locked in to what I currently believe and then try to sort of voice that on everybody else. So there's a great invitation here that would allow for humility and expansion. But unfortunately, we don't see that very often. We see much more of a power play where say my ideas are better than yours. And because I have a position of power, I am going to make sure that you serve these ideas. All right, Peter and I could probably talk for hours on this topic. Sure. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be sure that um, that everybody knows that those numbers that are in the Bible, the uh, the numbers of the chapters and the verses, <clears throat> are actually a really late addition. Those Indeed. don't uh, those don't uh, uh, appear in um, in the original manuscripts. In fact, they come from like the mid 1500s when a guy named Robert, because it could have been a guy named Peter, but it was a guy named Robert who said, you know, we ought to have an easy way for people to be talking about 
um, what they're talking about in terms of the Bible. So he put verse numbers in there. There you go. Um, That's the first time it it appeared in print editions, obviously, was the mid-1500s, because that's the invention of the printing (laughs) press. Um, But here's another thing that I wanted to surface. At the very end of this article, there's a term that's used that I think should be the word of the day, intellectual oligopoly. And I'm not sure we've ever talked about an oligopoly before, but it is. <laughs> Isn't that a board we game should, of some we kind? Yeah, I'm not sure know. what that is. Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's apparently a game going on right now in uh, it, it, uh, around us all the time. So it's this idea that a certain group of people, a mm-hmm. finite set of people, have the right um, to determine what is going to happen or what a group of people is going to think. And when you talk about an intellectual oligopoly. There is one in this country, for sure, and yes. I think it was really in evidence um, in the in the in the Senate hearing of Amy Coney Barrett. There, the Democrats uh, kept returning to the same line of questioning because they wanted to be assured that she's in the intellectual oligopoly that they currently believe they have, and she she kept saying, "No, I'm not." I'm not prejudging. I'm not making a decision in advance. I'm not going to tell you that this is what I am going to think about something in the future based on how you think about it today. I'm going to have an open mind and I'm going to judge the things that are put in front of me, which frankly is the do- is the job of a judge. Absolutely. Um, but because she is not prejudicial, because she has not prejudged the things, then she outed herself as not a part of the intellectual oligopoly that they represent. And that freaked them out. Anyway, that's what was really going on in that Senate hearing. Totally agree. Yesterday, Very in well case said. people were wondering. All Indeed. right, Peter Kapsner, uh, we are we are not only out of time, we are over time. We got to take a break for break point. Um, we'll talk again next week. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, don't, Cameron. Don't don't be truant. Don't skip kindergarten. I might, I might, I might hide behind a boulder before my eight o'clock class. Yeah, exactly, indeed. Okay, exactly. All right. <laughs> See ya. We'll talk again. Bye. All right, you uh, you and I know that there is a media generation out there, pretty much the crowd that's between, hmm, I don't know, 15 and 30. So there's a media generation out there. How are we reaching them with the gospel? Because the first place that they are going to come with their questions is not a physical structure that you and I might know as the church. But the church is deployed through the people of God, through the people of Christ, in all the world, including digital platforms. So how is the media generation being reached in the mission field of digital media. Well, next up, I've got Tim Bassanio. He's the founder of MXTV. We're going to talk today um, about how to reach the emerging generation with the gospel online and on other media platforms. You can check it out at asafeplaceonline.com. We'll be right back. This is Max Licato. Do you face 15,000 problems? Before you count yourself out, Turn and look at the one standing next to you. Christ can help you do the impossible. You simply need to give him what you have and watch him work. John chapter 6 and verse 11 says, Jesus took the loaves. This is the story of the day that Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. He didn't have to use the loaves. He made manna fall for the Israelites. Instead, he chose to use the single basket of the small boy. What's in your basket? All you have is a wimpy prayer, give it. All you have is a meager skill, use it. All you have is a strength for one step, take it. God used three nails and a crude cross to redeem humanity. If God can turn a basket into a buffet, don't you think he can do something with your five loaves and two fishes of faith? Remember, you are never alone. 
Listen up, all of you who actually know that it's bow season where you live. Tim Bassano is here. He is a professional photographer. He's an avid archer. Uh, He is the founder of MXTV, and he is a pastor's kid. He's shepherding the hearts of at least two people in his own home uh, of the next generation. Uh, And he's here to talk with us today about asafeplaceonline.com, asafeplaceonline.com. Tim Bassanio, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. (laughs) Hi, Carmen. I'm telling you what, that is the best introduction I've ever received. Thank you so much. So I really Um, felt like we could just talk about the fact that uh, it's bow season, and I can't believe you're doing radio interviews uh, at this hour of the day because I feel like this is prime uh, time for you. um, I should be, yeah, I mean. Somewhere in a tree stand, somewhere, marching around. Golly, you are stunning. My language. I have a squirrel. I have a squirrel herd that's looking for you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. Well, I, I'll tell you what, you know, I've listened uh, to you guys just here this morning online. You guys really, really get it. Uh, uh, you really get it. Uh, just your your ads and your announcements and the music that you're playing. Uh, you really get it. So thank you. Thank you for, for, for being a voice uh, in that culture there in, 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 in Minneapolis. Just amazing. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Well, thank you for doing what you do. Let's uh, let's actually pivot toward that. Um, there is a um, there's an opportunity to share the gospel with an emerging generation of people, yeah. but they're not going to the first place they're not going to go to find the answers to their questions uh, are physical church buildings. So, where mm-hmm. are young people asking questions, and how yeah. are you engaging them at MXTV uh, and yeah. then through? Um, a safe place online.com. Yes, we started MXTV Mission X Television almost 25 years ago. Today we're on many of the broadcasters around the world in about 150 countries and eight languages. It's it's wonderful. Uh, every single episode uh, ends with an opportunity to uh, respond to the gospel. And so we're still doing that, but lots has changed um, culturally since we started. Uh, MXTV 25 years ago. Now we're kind of looking at this generation, as you so eloquently put it, as as a mission field. If the the generation originally that we were reaching, the 18 to 25 year olds back 18 to 28 back then, now they've they've moved, they've migrated uh, as a people group um, to the internet. So now we're looking at the way that we're doing and how we're doing it through the 2020. Uh, lens, 2020 optics, I like to call it. All right. Well, you better tell us what those 2020 optics are, yeah. because I think uh, that there are people, right, there's people who are listening right now, and they hear us say media generation, uh, uh, and they don't they don't have any idea what we're talking about, okay. because they don't, they don't know a person in this age group well enough to know just how much time they're spending in digital yeah. environments and what they're doing there. Yeah. One of the major uh, changes, uh, Carmen, is that it, it major depression diagnoses are rising faster in millennials and in teens than in any other age group, according to the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Index of 2020. A, some, a, a, an astonishing fact is this. 
hopelessness is 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 almost incomprehensible to this generation. We feel that they're actually grieving that life didn't turn out the way that they thought. And and in in the state of Arizona, they did a youth survey in 2020. They they asked high school seniors um, a, a question, and it was and only 22 of them said yes when they were asked, "Do you believe that your future will turn out well?" I believe if I would have been asked that, oh, man, it's just a terrible, terrible fact. 22% said yes. I believe that when I was a high school senior, I believe the flip of that, 78% of the kids would have looked around and kind of raised their hand and go, yeah, I believe it's going to turn out well. So something is wrong. And what the enemy is doing to our young people just isn't right. And we've had enough. So kids kids want acceptance and kids want truth. They always have, but it's exacerbated by the internet today. So young people want acceptance, they want truth, but they don't know where to find it. And they're craving authenticity, but yet they're enticed by this this new digital world. And, and, And they don't know where to find it. So a safeplaceonline.com was, was, was launched uh, just uh, historically, I don't even know what the best word is, but in January of this year, Safe Place Online was launched to offer real hope. And we're finding, Carmen, that the, that the users of that web, uh, of, of that um, gift that the Lord has given us, they're encountering Jesus. And here's what happens. Oh, when they... When they encounter Jesus, they're finding truth and they're finding that they've been accepted all along. It's glorious. It's glorious. Uh, just it's providential it that the Lord led us to do this in January of 2020. All right. I am talking with Tim Bassanio. We're talking um, we're talking about reaching the next generation um, of people. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the mission of the church in the world and how we have to be deployed in places and spaces in ways that uh, maybe we've never thought about before. Uh, so we're going to talk about more about mxtv.org. We're talking about a safeplaceonline.com. You can check those out. Tim and I have to take a very brief break, but then we'll be right back. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Tim Bassanio. Uh, he sounds just exactly like you would expect a pastor's kid to sound. He became a pastor himself. He never made any detours from the straight and narrow. Um, and uh, and now he is, um, uh, you know, just a traditional pastor uh, in, in the traditional way. None of that is really true. Well, None I mean, parts of, of it. Actually yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us about yeah. your own, a little bit about your own story, because I do yeah. think it helps us understand why you are um, not only concerned with, but able to connect with um, with a generation of people who are at this point disconnected from the traditional church. Yeah, amen. You know, as you mentioned, I grew up uh, in the church. My father was a mega pastor, 22,000 members of First Baptist Church of Houston for 30 years. So I grew up as a, as a, as a, as a pastor's kid, but I, 
I, I, I knew I was being called to ministry, but I didn't really want to um, pastor. That was my interpretation of ministry call. Then I discovered missions, and I that, that lit a fire in me that I could actually go and, and do. I started a hardcore rock band uh, in Amsterdam, Holland. We did nightclub evangelism, just like can we, we Can do. we just pause there? Can we pause there? Because how did—if you can scroll back in time, yeah. how did your parents respond to that? They loved it. Loved it. I grew my that's a, I, I, that's a testimony, right? That is a testimony in and yeah. of itself. They let yes, you be a Christian in the way that God was calling you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, I you know, I, I, I love the arts. Uh, if it's if it's two things, I'm in. If it's creative and if it's sharing Jesus and it's beautiful, I mean add a third. I, I'm in. And so that's that's what that's why we did that. That's what led us to to to, to start a safe place online as well. You know, if, can I can I tell you, I don't, I don't think I told the viewers exactly what that website is. It is, it, I'm gonna let you know that it's a platform in essence. Well, it's not in essence, it is a platform where kids can connect, connect. So we did what we did then, we do, we're doing what we're doing now. So give an opportunity to for, for kids to connect to the creator. They can do that on a safeplaceonline.com. And uh, by, what I mean by that is 24 seven, they can chat or text with a volunteer. And that volunteer will listen, and very important, in a very non-judgmental way. And, and a safe place online is kind of like a Chinese food restaurant that just calls himself Chinese food. It is what it is. And so they know what they're getting into when they get there. The reason why kids, there's one reason why kids know to go to that site, it's because we put ads in front of them, 30 second ads. So an ad would look like this. A, a young man, he's got a, 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 a flat build cap on and he's, he's kind of stressing a little bit and he's looking up in, the, in a dark, darkly lit room up to the ceiling and he says, how can I be in a room full of people, filled to the brim, and yet feel all alone. And then the narrator comes on and says, life can be hard. Jesus cares. Go to a safeplaceonline.com and chat or text with someone right now that understands. We, the Lord gave me a, a, a vision in January. <laughs> Uh, 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 I saw three threes in my mind, 333. And I said, Lord, what is that? He said, that's what I want you to believe for, for monthly, to see the monthly 333 kids come to Jesus. Well, in January and February combined after that vision, we had one salvation. Then we, he moved the needle and in May and June, we had 70. In, in, in March, when COVID hit, we were continued to scale to figure out how many kids do we have to reach to see 333 of them say yes to Jesus. Well, in July, we had 303. And then <laughs> we discovered that 50, check this out, 54% of the kids that were saying yes to Jesus were also downloading and signing up for the New Believers Guide. Incredible, incredible to me. The Lord moved the needle again. And in August, we saw 432 yeses to Jesus through a safe place online. 
In September, we saw over 400 again. <laughs> so I got I got one more great thing to, to tell you. I don't want to do all the talk of it. No, you're fine. I'm um I'm busy chatting with Pete, who um I connected with at a safeplaceonline.com. So you just keep talking about uh about what's available at this incredible ministry website. And I think it's important, Tim, to point out that um, a safeplaceonline.com is not just a platform that is available uh, to young people. Yeah. They're actually using it. They're and that's, using that's a huge difference. Like, it's one thing to make something available. It's another thing yeah. for young people to actually be accessing it and using yeah. it. So Pete has yeah. just said, I asked Pete in my chat. I, I started a chat when you told me I could chat um, mm-hmm. at a safe place. Uh, online.com. And so I thought, well, I'm going to test it out. So they, they hooked me up with Pete. Um, so I'm now live chatting with Pete. And uh, I asked Pete, I said, Pete, hey, I'm talking to thousands of people on air right now about this website. What do you want them to know? And Pete said, uh, Safe Place uh, has Christian volunteers. We're here to listen to your story. We're here to share the one true source of hope that's found in Jesus Christ. So, hey, Pete, you're doing a good job, man. Good job, Pete. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the that's the wonderful people that need him. Uh, they they back in the day when kids actually used the phone when we would offer a chance to respond to the gospel at the end of our TV show. One eight hundred need him answered our phones. Now they're answering the chat. It's a wonderful ministry, and I even know Pete over there. That that guy is awesome. So check. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for all the volunteers over there. Um, right, that's so cool. I mean, I just think that that's cool that in real time we can we can demonstrate yeah. um, how this works. So young yes. people are in need of hope. We all recognize that they're going online. Um, well, they are online. They're not going online with their concerns. Yeah. They are online, and they the question good. is, um, you know, is there a safe place for them online? to be broken, to ask questions, to acknowledge yeah. that they're hopeless? And then is there someone, a faithful Christian, um, ready to ready to step in um, yeah. and and introduce them to Jesus, um, whom we yeah. know is, is the great yeah. hope of salvation? And yes. so that's yeah. what is happening at asafeplaceonline.com. It's so cool. Big time. Big time. Great, great summary. You're, you're, All right. You're so, awesome. Tim, we got to leave it right there. Um, it's been an absolute joy to meet you today. I look forward to um, following up this conversation in the future. That's Tim Bassanio. He is the founder of MXTV. You can find that at mxtv.org. We've been talking today about a safeplaceonline.com, inviting you to check that out as well. Tim, thanks so much, brother. God bless you guys and, and your wonderful listeners. Well, thank you so much. We received that. We'll be right back. All right. I, you know, God has got so many good people. Uh, God's got me. God's got you. God's got so many good people out there. I want you to just pause for a moment and survey the landscape of your life and recognize the good people that God's got. I mean, we're not good people because we're good. We're good people because God's got us. I think that's important to note there as well. Uh, trust me, I would be no good without God. In fact, I have said in the past, I'm pretty sure I would be a pretty hardened criminal without God, because I have a very active imagination and voracious curiosity. And without God, I wouldn't, you know, feel the limits um, on that. I wouldn't have a desire to be good and do good and pursue that which is good and advance that which is good, um, because I, I wouldn't have God, and He's the one who supplies um, 
all of that. I mean, it's the goodness, the beauty, and the truth, transcendentally who he is. Um, I get to experience, I have the opportunity to acknowledge, and then I get to live out. So I'd be no good without God. I'm quite sure of that. Uh, Pretty sure you wouldn't be either, but you might want to argue that point. Um, And so let me just say again, it's just, I, I continue to celebrate and want to magnify all the good people God's got. And so I want to celebrate you today, and I want to celebrate uh, those who have shared with us in conversation here on the program today, um, those who do so each and every day, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, and maybe just take some time today to make a gratitude to God list for all of the people he has used and is using now to speak into your life in good and positive ways. You could think of it as Pastor Appreciation Month, all those who are shepherding your heart, um, and you can participate in Pastor Appreciation Month online at MyFaithRadio.com if you haven't done so already. Um, And uh, it's an opportunity, I think, for us to say thank you to God for the way that he's working in the world. All right, have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.